0: Welcome to episode number 10 of Podcana, a podcast about Disney's Lorcanna card game, strategy, news, discussion, all that jazz. My name is Matt DeMarco, AK Flake, joined by Brendan Patrick. How
1: are you, buddy? Good, good. Yeah, so for episode 10, we're going to be talking about how to win Gen Con, sort of a last-minute, uh, last-minute topic, but with everybody signing up, trying to get into the starter deck challenge, whatever it might, might be. I think we've seen we've seen all of the cards that are actually displayed on the front of these starter decks, and I think we have a pretty good idea of what these color combinations are trying to do, what their archetypes are, and which ones might be more powerful um, than others. Also, there's been some news around organized play, which we'll be diving into. But before all that, let's hit into that Elsa Icebreaker. Elsa, do you want to build a snowman?
0: All right, so the Elsa icebreaker gen- generously uh, s- submitted by actually one, a big fan of the show, somebody who's like all about uh, Podcana, and we, we're happy to have them. It's Toby every day offering a question for you. It says, you're riding into battle, Brendan Patrick. Who is your mount? Who is your animal companion going into battle? There's a lot of animals up there in the Disney world. And again, uh, I hate to always lean on Pegasus and Hercules related mm. stuff because Pegasus seems like the best thing. Flight, but there's some pretty good ones out there as well. Like maybe you just want to hang out with Baloo.
1: What's the name of the boar that's, I think the boar that sings Akuna Matata? Pumba?
0: Yes, but Pumbaa, like I get it, but like unless you're Timon sized, like is that gonna work? Like you can't really, like don't get me wrong, he beat the crap out of those hyenas. Like he just came in there like a like an absolute wrecking ball and just
1: you're breaking you're breaking the fourth wall, breaking the immersion. I I am Timon sized. That's what we. I'm
0: oh like, sorry, I apologize. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we are all meerkat sized over here. Definitely. Um, there you go. That's that's some information you know, for you.
1: What this makes me think of. Um, I've actually been playing. So when I was younger, I played a lot of World of Warcraft, um, honestly, for a lot of my life, like a disgusting amount. And I recently circled back to play a little bit because they came out with a new community-based mod that's hardcore, World of Warcraft, which means permadeath. Oh, no! It's it's a permadeath game that's sort of rooted in, like, characters that probably have anywhere from 20 to 500 to 1,000 hours put into them. So it's, like, the most ridiculous thing. But it's in Classic WoW, and I've actually been playing that. Uh, The mount thing just made me think of it because there are mounts, of course, in WoW. Um, I'm actually really enjoying it. It kind of of recaptures the the old nostalgia nostalgic experience because if you just play original like classic wow which they actually do offer now it's so metagamed at this point. It's 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 just too easy, right? So you add this permadeath element, um, and you can, you're not allowed to use the auction house, you're not allowed to trade, do any of that. So it's uh, if you've played ARPGs, it's solo self found or SSF. Um, and it's genuinely super challenging. I've actually been really enjoying that. I've been playing it with my brother, um, but yeah, the amounts just made me think about it. <laughs> I just well, wanted to share that. I
0: played World of Warcraft for a solid like six months of my life, like when I moved to Toronto mm-hmm. and I had nothing else to do. That's how I connected with some friends. I created a frost mage named Colt spark that was the Mm. name of my character what was the name of your character
1: uh so it depends right like my the name of my character most recently when i was raiding a lot was Fiddy, like f-i-d-d-y because it was originally fitty shades which was just like some ripoff of 50 shades of gray because i thought (laughs) that book was Hilarious, um, <laughs> but then it was just Fiddy plus like whatever class I was playing with like RM. So I played World of Warcraft up until about Battle Battle for Azeroth, and I was raiding in. I was raiding in a guild that would compete for the world for like world first rating. Uh, <laughs> we, we weren't we weren't expected to win. It was basically what if you. It's a really popular thing now. But there's a guild called Limit in the United States. They you know, have all the sponsors. There's like a big thing uh, on Twitch every time they raid. So it's a bit more popular now. Uh, but we were effectively a feeder guild for that. And I quit World of Warcraft right as esports came in. Unfortunately, I was wasting my life uh, trying to actually comp- get into that guild if anybody's aware, with, aware of it, um, but did end up having to stop playing because it just saved <laughs> I was all-consuming at that point. But yeah, I, I, I played basically since I was... I mean, I played since 2004, Flake. I played uh, in the my parents', my parents uh, living room computer mac you know as like a, a torn hunter that didn't do quests and just killed things as I didn't know. like
0: an eight-year-old right yes like just jamming it out there that's pretty hardcore i'm not gonna lie but the one thing that you said that absolutely gave me big time anxiety was when you mentioned like permadeath where you show up you get you get absolutely gooned by somebody and then you lose all your stuff you have to start from scratch like i would never do that i get uh, like this weekend for those uh, who who might know we were in pittsburgh doing the a uh, Flesh and Blood tournament casting uh, Brendan and I. And th- at the Airbnb, they busted out um, boxes of like, I forgot what it was, like outsiders or whatever, because they were doing flip it or rip it. And for those mm-hmm. who are unaware of flip it or rip it, you two people sit across from each other. They open packs. They shuffle them face down. Then they put two cards face down. And the the person across from them picks one. And without looking, you just tear it in half. Now, the other aspect, like I was already... I had anxiety because I'm like, they, what's amazing was like in the the few games that they played, all of the high rarity cards survived. The cold foils survived until somebody said, oh my God, imagine we ripped that. And then the person I was with, some dude by the name of Logan said, oh, you mean like this? And then picked up the cold foil and tore it in (laughs) half just to like prove a point. However, what gave me the most anxiety was... Um, the owner of the Realm Games, Keith Bartram, said he
1: loves slip it or it.
0: He is so um, damn horny for this because he's like, "I have a case of Alpha in the truck. Do I go God. get it?" And everybody was like, "Yeah," and I was like, "No, like, please, no." He and he leaves, and I'm like, "You guys are honestly gonna tear open." A five or six thousand dollar box of cards.
1: Yeah, so that we should, we should, we should, uh, we should give people the baseline. So it's probably around five to six thousand dollars, and all time high price on the box is probably like a (laughs) ten thousand dollars. So the
0: case, the case is like close to a twenty thousand dollar case of cards, and in my mind, like, like I was freaking out, and he comes back with this very disappointed look on his face. He's like, "It was in the other van that already went back to Ohio," and I was like, "Thank God," because. I, I was having heart palpitations, and again, I understand it's just it's just cardboard, but as somebody who would... <laughs> I'm like, when they ripped that cold foil, it was like a scale peeler. I was like, I don't mm. have this card. I need this card. Like, I don't have this card for my collection.
1: I enjoy games like Flip It or Rip It. I, I'm, less, I'm less of a gambler, to be honest. I'm not like a degenerate gambler, but I am very degenerate for high stakes. That's why I love permadef games. It's also, if I ever do get to a far in a tournament, top eight, or competing for the finals... It's very common for card players to ask for a split, especially when the prize disparity is large. Split it down the middle, decrease sort of the opportunity cost or risk of you know one player losing. And I always ask to, to <laughs> ask for a compromise, right? All or nothing. Because for some reason, that's so much more fun for me. I, I, I would never, never split a finals unless I was very good friends with the person or I legitimately did not want to play the game. Um, but yeah, it, it's that's kind of a super... It's a very degenerate way to view to view card games. I know some people like they definitely frown, frown upon.
0: Like they'll, they'll the all or
1: nothings. They'll come
0: out of like they, it's like somebody came out of there. They were they were sleeping in the Airbnb room because this was mm. going down at like ten or eleven o'clock. And they're like they came up like I heard flip it or a bit. I'm like you guys are psychotic. Has everyone ever take you taken you uh, or taken you up on the offer of all or nothing in a major stakes tournament or like at least like decently high stakes?
1: No, they always wuss out because. I never ask for a split, right? So the person that's coming to ask me is already asking for a risk mitigating play, right? By splitting. So the all or nothing is about as far away from their their desired outcome as possible.
0: Yeah, but they might be looking for the check raise on you. Or you're like, they they check and you go all in and they're like, gotcha, bitch.
1: I hope so. I hope (laughs) one day that somebody does that. It does make it more exciting um, for sure. I have a, but I will I will admit I have split a couple finals in my days, but only with close friends.
0: Alright, so let's answer the question. So for me it's Pegasus. The second I think is carpet. I would take carpet from Aladdin.
1: Mm, carpet's a good one.
0: But that's a creature. I'm kind of counting it as a creature.
1: I'm gonna stick with my answer, even though I already forgot his name. What was it again? Matata
0: oh Pumba. Okay, yeah. Pumba. Yeah. There because you're Timon sized. You're you're you measure like a foot and a half. Uh on your tiptoes all right so we've got some headlines ladies and gentlemen Uh, we're going to get to how to win gen con in the uh, first ever i guess tournament that they're going to be running with starter decks but before we get to that we do have some information that we want to just pass along the first little bit of information is that no new cards have leaked as the as of when we're actually recording this and we Mm -hmm. record every two weeks like we give ourselves a wide berth here to paint this with a broad stroke as possible and it is may 31st the end of may we have not seen a new card. maybe that'll change when this gets published on Friday however as it stands now no new cards and I'm gonna ask you <laughs> this uh Brendan it seems like they've kind of maybe I don't say they've run out of gas but you know like this game when it was discussed and and sort of teased early on and then they started just trickling out cards not the rules just the cards figure it out cheers and then finally here comes the rules and but like the game is not launching for another
1: two and a half months. Which is not that far away, to be honest. <laughs> like you could still do a card, like I think every day at that rate. Well, at least. So it, it it's it's launching pretty soon. Lorcana at this point feels a bit like an abusive relationship. They're just so hot and so cold sometimes. They just give us so much and then so little. I think the big meme in the Lorcana community is that there were a lot of people that were really hyped for Locana, maybe started Lorcana podcast maybe doing content for lorkana and then as soon as star wars unlimited got announced just immediately switched like there's literal podcasts that actually just re-banded, rebranded rebranded and are now star wars podcasts uh, on the same like on the same brand right so with the same listener base subscriber base i don't think we're in that scenario right like Lorcana, to be honest is not really the hot thing anymore but that's just the nature the nature of things. I know that's a bad way to describe it, but that's how it is, right? Star Wars came out. It was just like the new shiny thing and there's more unknowns and the, there's you're like, what are the rules? What are the cards look like? What are the archetypes? We kind of know a lot of that stuff about Lurkana now, so it has lost a bit of excitement. I think they can capture it bat- back easily and I don't think it's you know, the game itself that will launch in two months has lost, like, all of its momentum. It's just due to the content schedule and due to a competitor coming out that nobody expected in the form of Star Wars Unlimited announcing their game. Yeah, the hype for Locana has definitely sort of tapered down a little bit, although I I generally don't think it's a bad thing. I, I wish, though, like, for our sake, that they would please release more cards or at least develop some sort of cadence or schedule because, yeah, I mean, like I said, hot and cold for sure.
0: So that might change because uh, we have heard through our sources that uh, a new community manager, a new global community manager, has started work this week. Uh, This person has, and now I, I have been asked not to essentially give away this person's details, names, and whatever, just sort of to protect their privacy, and so they're not bombarded with stuff, but the new community manager... Uh, has started this week, and the new community manager also has had success in other card games. So that might be something that they're going to be involved in terms of pumping the tires uh, of uh, the other piece of news, which is that as much as we in the past several episodes have kind of really were hyped about organized play, had thoughts about what that might look like, uh, got news of it, tried to sort of make you know heads or tails of what that's going to look like and ultimately they said that there's nothing coming in terms of major organized play they've kind of um rewinded on that or perhaps clarified because maybe we got mm-hmm. ahead of ourselves and the community did too but from the discord the Lorcana discord team team Lorcana themselves uh just said hey and I'm quoting them here. We want to clarify incorrect speculation about Disney Lorcana's organized play program. While the program's organized play structure is designed to welcome new players, there is still plenty of room for competitive play. Please stay tuned. We'll be releasing more information about our plans soon. Now, that doesn't really say anything <laughs> about the fact that they're going to have like what we were discussing like a pro tour and and like high-level competitive gameplay. It doesn't say that. It just says it literally says there's room for comp like for competitive play. What does that mean to you?
1: What does that mean to me? It means we're seeing all of our competitors come out with organized play and we didn't have any plans for it. Now we have to adjust. That could be wrong, right? That could be a cynical take, but it, it does look like they're adjusting to what the market's doing. Right. And TCGs that are coming out nowadays are coming out with organized play and players seem to be interested in organized play. Um, let's say even if it was true when the first announcement dropped it and it was a rumor right so this is not true that Laura Conner was not going to have organized play for the first year I think that was fine to be honest I actually think it was a it was a positive announcement in the sense that they gave us a, a legitimate timeline in which to expect organized play um, but <laughs> there was one take that I do I, I did sort of have issue with which was, People sort of looking at that announcement, the the lack of organized play as a win for casual gameplay. They're like, I didn't even want competitive anyway. This is, I'm just gonna have fun, and that's fine. You you don't have to compete in Lorcan, and you don't have to take it in a competitive uh, play it in a competitive manner. But I think Lor, like if if Ravensburger truly devotes zero resources to competitive play, I don't think it's a win for you as a casual player. I think it's still a loss. I think it's still resources that. You know, could have attracted more players to the game, more money that could have invested in the community, et cetera, That could have potentially just be taken out. The counter argument is that it might be sort of spread out into other into other avenues, and I, I would doubt it. I, I don't think that it would sort of percolate that way. So this I think whether you're a comp- competitive player or playing to be a competitive player or not in Lorcana, competitive play or at least Ravensburger supporting it, putting an effort and acknowledging acknowledging that there's an appetite for it is a win for everybody. It's an obvious win for people who want to play competitively, but even for people that are playing casually, it just brings more people to the game. Um, and it's Ravensburger uh, devoting resources, time, money, etc., into the game, which they might not be doing otherwise if they didn't have the competitive play. I,
0: I don't see how people can kind of get an addition by subtraction in, in terms of this, because there's gonna be a lot of players, possibly myself included to a degree that, I mean, like I'm, I'm already into this game and I'm already, you know, having fun playing it casually but there are going to be people out there who are not even going to like when i for instance magic for me i only started playing magic heavily in 2018 because there was a competitive aspect and once Mm -hmm. i got into the competitive aspect of standard and tournaments etc that's when i said i'm like okay like I'm cool to just go and play for fun casually at like a draft or like a a FNM or whatever, because I'm already ingrained in the competitive side because they've already hooked me with that. But if that didn't exist, it's not a win for the game because they're lacking a certain element or a certain entire division um, or a demographic that they can appeal to. So what I wonder or worry about to a degree is if they don't have any outlet for, higher competitive play how many players are just going to completely skip over the game that may have Mm. said i'm in for both but if you don't have i mean for both or none and if you don't have the what i'm actually interested in which is competitive play then i'm not even going to take a a sniff at the casual stuff
1: yeah i think that if Lorcana launches with actual with zero support for the foundations of what can foster competitive play at the grassroots level things like a comprehensive rule set a judge program etc i do think that will be extremely bad for the game even on a casual level because if you can't even play a game on a grassroots level getting people together maybe maybe your tournament isn't for a million dollars right maybe it's for uh store I don't know, store credit, right? Or you get to be the winner of the store for that month. Like, you, you need some of these foundations in order to sort of run those, those card game tournaments. They're not, they're not competitive tournaments, but they're tournaments. And I think if, Lur- if they look at this game as just a completely casual game and they don't give us some way to uh, have extremely comprehensive rules that can you know, uh, encapsulate all of the scenarios you're going to run into or some sort of judge program so people can be arbiters of said rules like it's really really bad for the game in my opinion is it a death blow no but these are things that this game should be launching with as a modern dcg
0: well we'll see what happens again it's one of those uh you know hurry up and and wait kind of scenarios where it's just an announcement of an announcement of an announcement Mm. and and it's like
1: two months is not a long time like it's not it is really coming out soon that I'm really, I'm genuinely surprised that it has been so silent and so inconsistent in terms of announcements with, this is a brand new TCG. So this isn't a flesh and blood expansion where they're going to do a new set where they're going to do a spoilers in like one week or a week. This is a brand new card game. They really should be dripping out this information and they have plenty of content to do it with. This is the first set of the game. They should be dripping out these cards. Like I don't know why they're, they're going totally silent here. Like you said, maybe they didn't have a community manager and now they do. So that could change. Um, I guess that kind of explains it if they genuinely didn't have one before this. So well, hopefully, hopefully, start getting some info.
0: Well, that's what we're all hoping for. And again, as we kind of approach uh, launch day, which is going to be, I think, the end of August, I mean, that's two, like, that's two and a half plus, it's more than two and a half months away, um, which for some is minutes and for others feels like years but ultimately that's the reality of it and hopefully that new stuff is going to be trickling in soon because we're, we're rubbing up against it all right we want to get you winning at gen con now again if you're listening to this um there are others who are listening to this who might be going to gen con so only one of you will win however <laughs> we want it to be one of you listeners so uh we're going to get you prepped here so walk us through The strategy here, as uh, I believe... First of all, Brendan, tell us what the actual tournament
1: is. So it's a starter deck tournament, from what I understand. I don't know if all the starter decks are going to be equally available, or if they're first come, first serve. I assume they'll be along the lines of first come, first serve, uh, in which case it will... benefit you greatly to know what the best deck potentially is. You don't pick the wrong one or well, get stuck with one.
0: I want I just want to interject here because I was actually looking at, I think uh, I, I took a look at some of the comments from the previous episode and there was somebody who actually commented and said that we're getting way ahead of ourselves here. It's a starter deck tournament. No one's going to care like that. It's not, <laughs> no one's going to take it seriously. And I'm like, I didn't reply there. So I'll reply here. It's, com- it's competition. People are if people are gonna are gonna care. Did you see how fast those tickets sold out? People care and they are it's, going
1: to want to win. It's the pinnacle of competition for Larkana. So this happened in Flesh and Blood. So Flesh and Blood, um, it, it currently has things like Pro Tours and Worlds, but at one point it didn't have that. So it had Road to Nationals. It had Callings, which were like Magic Grand Prix, and then it had Nationals. Uh, before they had Pro Tours and Worlds, whatever was the highest event, whatever was the, the highest level you could get to, that was the premier event. So at one point, Road to Nationals were as com- like, very, very competitive. And nowadays, they're more casual events because you have these higher outlets in the form of Pro Tour Worlds. And Larkana, the highest outlet that you can aspire, aspire to for competitive play is the starter deck tournament at Gen Con. That's what it is. So uh, I, I, I disagree that people won't care. Uh, i would i would agree with him and say that it doesn't matter <laughs> so does does winning matter no absolutely not uh are people going to want to win and are people going to try to get clout from winning this tournament absolutely that this is this is competitive larkana at this point they're putting on a tournament i mean this it's it's not a casual a super casual thing like there's going to be a winner yeah. i believe there's prizes too which I mean, they're, they're pretty significant right
0: what makes me happy is that there was a lot of people who actually bought multiple tickets Uh, and then tried to scalp them and then all of those people got gooned because they realized that they could not resell the tickets and like a lot of those people who bought the initial ones like so all the people who bought bought out the events and could not resell them because they they were non-transferable uh get bent you got hosed so suck on that (laughs) that made me laugh i mean
1: that should be a little bit of foreshadowing for the actual card game coming out um People trying to scalp, so get ready for that, by the way. Uh, anyway, it's a starter deck tournament, and the starter decks, we ha- there's three of them right now. There is Amber, Amethyst, Emerald, Ruby, uh, and Steel Sapphire. And we don't know the exact cards in them. We don't, but we know the cards that are on the front and we know a lot of cards in these colors. And I think we can extrapolate from the gameplay uh, what these decks are trying to do. Because a lot of these cards are sort of marquee cards in specific archetypes, like Mickey is doing the broom stuff. Um, you have Maleficent in red, maybe recurring recurring stuff with Lady Tremaine or doing two for one spot, you know, target removal with damage. Uh, you have blue, which is unconditional removal. You have things like Moana, which is this high defensive butt that reaps for a lot of damage. Um, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. So I think we can really extrapolate from the cards we've seen so far what could potentially be in these decks and what the best color combinations uh, might be. But in addition to the starter deck, you do get one one booster pack, which is it's significant. It's not nothing. I don't, uh, know, how, I, I don't know how I can account for that as a variable. But
0: I'm trying to think see. of like where this has ever kind of mattered. And again, I, mm-hmm. I hate to always just harp back on Star Wars CCG, but Star Wars CCG's starter decks used to come with it was like a set. I think it was like a set uh, 30 plus Mm -hmm. 10 randomized cards. But if you opened it and you hit a bomb, then you play the bomb and you win the game. Like that was basically how it worked. Uh, So there's going to be a little bit of variance in here because the, but the worst thing that could probably happen is you, let's say you pick up the steel, um, you know, the steel, uh, what is it, emerald or steel sapphire you play, you pick up steel sapphire, and you pick up like uh, the Mickey Mouse ruby card. Like it, it, you'll feel really bad and good at the same time because it's an unplayable <laughs> bomb that you just picked up. But ultimately, yeah, y- you need to know what like within the variables that you ha- that you already are are accounted for or that are accounted for. You need to be able to distinguish like how, what you're doing with the deck, what the de- best deck is outside of the extra booster pack that's in there that might sort of jazz up your deck
1: hmm <clears throat> Well, let's start with the control deck, which uh, I genuinely believe is going to be a Sapphire Steel. Um, so the marquee card for Steel here is Simba, which is like the challenger card. Simba is a 4-6, um, storyboard king costs 7, can be turned into a resource, has challenger 4, which means while challenging, this character gets plus 4 attack. So in that case, it would become an 8-6. Um, it has pounce. It says during your turn, this character gains evasive. And it reaps for two pips. Just a little top end, um, a top end card that can pretty much clear anything your opponent could possibly play on the board. The other card is Aurora, uh, Dreaming Guardian, which is a three-five cost five, can be turned into a resource. Has shift three, which means you can play it on top of another Aurora for three instead of paying that five. It has a ability called Protective Embrace, which says your other characters gain ward, uh, and it reaps for two pips. So this is. You know, this Aurora, I could see this giving your, the rest of your creatures Ward, and you're maybe countering a deck like the Ruby uh, Emerald deck, which might be using things like Dragonfire, which is spot removal, and Ward does very well against that. Um, Aurora, as well, is just a well-static card, but these are the most controlling-esque cards. I think these, these challenger cards steal, which has also item removal. Um, it has sort of big butts in general <laughs> is the way, is the way to describe it. It has a, it has a particular call called card called fire, the cannons, um, which it's, uh, it costs one, cannot be turned into a resource, and says, deal two damage to chosen character. A card which is pretty underwhelming in and of itself, but can be recurred with another call, card called Captain Hook, Captain of the Jolly Roger, a 3-4, four, costs four, can be turned into a resource. It says, double the power. When you play this card, you may return an action card named Fire the Cannons from your discard your hand and reach for one pip. That loop right there is actually very, very powerful in Loracana right now. Um, and I expect it to be powerful in the starter decks is this Captain Hook. Uh, recurring Fire of the Cannons, it sort of just draws you a card, right? And this dealing two damage is very, very effective. It makes it so you don't have to two for one your creatures into something. You can sometimes just kill it with Fire of the Cannons itself, um, etc. Steel also has access to another card called Beast, Beast Mirror. Cost two can be turned to resource. It's an item and it says, show me, tap three and pay three resources. If you have no cards in hand, draw a card. I mean, this is really, really important. If these are sort of Somewhat underpowered starter decks, which I expect them to be. Uh, card draw is very, 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 very powerful, and you will find yourself in the mid to late game very frequently in Arcana with no cards in hand, very little cards to no cards in hand. In which Beast Mirror is basically a better on-rate Magic Mirror in that case. Um, just lastly, here you know, Steel's got some big top end in the form of like Gontu. I'm not sure if that'll be in the deck, but I'm pretty sure the reason why Sapphire is paired with this is because of things like Aurora, right? Disrupting your opponent's ability to interact with your board, but also for removal cards like Let It Go, which is a song, cost five, can be turned into resources. Put chosen character into players, ink while face down, exerted. So just unconditional removal. Um, I believe that this is a sort of defensive challenger removal deck, right? And blue, of course, has ramp. Blue has quite a bit of ramp. It has the Mickey Mouse, which takes something off the top, um, as well as another card called... Uh, one Jump Ahead, which does the same thing, gets you another resource. I don't know if this is going to be very much of a, a, a ramp deck uh, more than you have that removal, which is critical. You have Challenger, and yeah, I think this is the control deck of the starter decks.
0: I think that it's a, if it's a starter deck, it's going to try to explore a little bits and pieces of what each color... It kind of represents and has access to so you'll see a little bit of ramp you'll see a a little bit of spot removal Uh, i would i wouldn't be surprised if this deck just has a play set of fire the cannons in it the big drops are going to be the simbas the auroras and such like that this to me is going to be the deck that's going to kind of grind out wins it's going to be very challenging it's going to sort of it's going to go ahead and quest for lore when it can but its objective is going to be to like you said to control the board to slow down the game and to like quest for one quest for two quest for three here and there it's not going to be sort of like that swarm overwhelming i'm questing for nine you could deal with my dudes i'm just going to establish more board and such like that um again we don't know what the contents of the starter decks are and i don't think it's i i don't believe it's released yet but you could probably imagine that you're gonna have all like all the a couple of each common in there um you know maybe a couple of the rares and then your big hitters, which are going to be the car- characters on the front of the box.
1: Well, I was going to say, we don't know the exact cards, but we do know some cards that are in the deck. And that's why it's uh, like, we. which are the cards are on the front of the box, right? And the, in particular, the Amethyst Amber deck has two of the most powerful cards in the game put on the front of the box. Or if you look at the Emerald Ruby deck, but those cards are kind of bad, <laughs> to be honest. Um, let's go ahead and talk about Emerald Ruby. So Emerald Ruby is Cruella Deville uh, and Aladdin. Cruella Deville is a two cost that can be turned to a resource. It's a one three, and it says, "You'll be sorry when this character is challenged and banished. You may return chosen character to its player's hand. It reads for one pip." I mean, this card is just fine. It, it, it's very, very average, which is funny with it being on the front of the deck, in like in contention with things like Aladdin, Moana, Mickey Mouse, Aurora, Simba. It's just not on that level for me. It's just a very average card. It would go in all my green decks, but everything goes in all my green decks right now or my Emerald decks because there are no Emerald cards that have really been spoiled. Uh, But Cruella Deville, probably the least powerful card um, on here. Aladdin, on the other hand, I mean, this kind of points to maybe a more aggressive strategy. I think that most of the things we've seen out of Red or out of ruby have been aggressive aladdin is a seven cost can be turned to resource five five it has shift five so you can pay five to play this and put it on top of another aladdin it says daring exploit during your turn whenever this character banishes another character to challenge you gain two lore and each opponent loses two lore it reaps for two pips this card is a bit of a you know play it when the game kind of card That being said, your opponent can genuinely play around it. (laughs) Like, this card is, in my opinion, it's it's not very good top end, especially compared to things like Maleficent Monstrous Dragon, which come in and immediately two for one, or Mickey Mouse, which reaps for four pips. Mickey Mouse and Ruby, by the way, which reaps for four pips, has evasive, so hard to deal with. I do think that the Emerald (coughs) Ruby deck will have evasive characters in it, and I think that will be a key theme, um, and I do believe that's why we see evasion, an evasive character in the form of Simba on the Steel deck as well to help deal with this red deck. But ultimately, I think this is going to be a bit of a mid-range deck, utilizing the cards that are on the front, um, just general good stuff cards, as well as the key removal of the stack, which is going to be probably Dragonfire, which I think is one of the most, probably the most powerful card in the game. It just banishes chosen character, um, five costs can't be turned to resource action. Um,
0: I think. I think uh, also just just on. really quick, like because um, the fact that Aladdin has shift five. Um, it's a it's a it's a high end card. Obviously, it's got a shift five, but the two drop Aladdin is emerald, so that's going to pair with that color, and it's a two two with Ward, so it'll be protected. Uh, so you can kind of shift it out if you get lucky to sort of to cheat it out early, and then at that point, maybe that's the game plan for this deck is to sort of protect your units. But then, like you said, if you're if you can get Aladdin out on five, if you can shift him out on five and mess around. At five, steal your opponent's lore, get your lore going. It's you're kind of hoping that your opponent doesn't have an answer for it that early, but uh, you know, like I, I think that the only way that this deck can can actually benefit is if you can get the Aladdin out early and then get you know, steal their lore, get your lore before they can ramp up to their big hitters that can potentially put it out of its misery.
1: I think this is the mid range deck. So we talked about uh Steel, Sapphire being the control deck. I think this is the mid-range deck, um, which is fine. And the reason why I haven't ranked them in power level quite yet is because we're going to hop over to the third deck here, which in my opinion is probably going to be objectively the best deck because it has two of the most powerful cards in the game right now, like by quite a bit on the front. Um, and that's that's Moana and Mickey Mouse. We'll start with Mickey Mouse because Mickey Mouse is freaking busted. So Mickey Mouse, Wayward Sorcerer, it's a four cost, can be turned to resources, a three, four. It says... Animate broom. You may pay one less to play broom characters. Careless worker. Another ability. When one of your broom characters is banished and challenged, return that card to hand, and this card reads for two pips. So this card is busted because these brooms—they, um, they're two costs can be turned to resource two twos, um, and when you play them, you can shuffle a card from the discard into a player's deck. You might shuffle your guard, good card into your deck or you might shuffle a bad card in your opponent's deck. Uh, they come for two pips. So basically, these things, they come down and they can just attack into anything. They can clear board and you can sacrifice them into your opponent's creatures for no cost because they go back to hand. And you play them again for at most one if you have Mickey on board. And it's very, very hard for anything to deal with because if, you, if your opponent's playing something like an Emerald Ruby, they can't drag and Fire. A magic room. They have to dragonfire your Mickey. It's if your magic room gets two instances of value, right? Comes down as a two-two, kills something, kills itself, goes back to hand. You play it again. That's so much value. You don't get value like that in any other kind of cards in Arcana. And Mickey Mouse is genuinely one of the most powerful things you can do. All right, the other card on the front is Moana, which is a five cost, can be turned to resource, and it's a one six. It says, we can fix that. When this character quests, you may ready other princess characters. They can't quest for the rest of the turn, but it, the key thing is it reached for three pips. So a five cost that comes down as a one six can pretty much, it can't be cleared by any other five costs. You've got to hit this thing with like a dragon fire and immediately progress your game plan towards three pips. You're often going to be getting six out of this because you you quest with it, your opponent attacks into it. They can't kill it on their own turn if you've been maintaining board parity. And then this, it just, I mean, that's more than 25% of your win condition. It's running away with the game. Um, Amethyst, on top of that, we talked about Mickey Mouse. Amethyst has the most powerful cards in the game. Anybody who doesn't think that right now is absolutely wrong. I'm sorry. The only other card that, that competes at all with Amethyst cards is Dragonfire, but Amethyst has Pascal, objectively the best one drop in the game right now. Rapunzel's Companion, it's a 1-1, one, one, one cost, can be turned into a resource, as Camouflage. While you have another character in play, which is freaking always, this character game's evasive and it reads for one pip. This thing will gain you so many pips <laughs> in the start of the game. You have access to Elsa to tap down uh, sort of hazardous things from your opponent, and then you have the best card draw spe- uh, card draw spells in the game. You have things like Magic Mirror, which is an item that can draw cards, and you have, I don't know if it'll be in the deck because they're so broken. Uh, Maleficent Sorceress, which is a 2-2, cost 3, can be turned into resource, and when you play it, it draws a card, reach for one pip, so it replaces itself, but then you have a 3-cost song that can also be turned into resource, which is so broken, I don't know why it does that. Uh, it's a song, and it says, draw 2 cards. So you can play Maleficent on 3, it replaces itself, then on turn four, you can play friends from the other side, tap lifts and draw an additional two cards. You drew three, you do three cards. It's so good. Like nothing competes with the card advantage that those two cards, um, s- generate right now in the early game. It's so freaking good. I do think that, uh, Amethyst is better paired with steel at the moment, considering all the spoilers that we have, but prior to steel getting access to captain hook to recur fire, the cannons, um, as well as the the beast that blows up items which kind of breaks the mirror Mm -hmm. in the amethyst steel mirror i i do i I thought that amethyst amber was the best deck in the game and this is an aggro deck this will be an aggro deck uh but what's funny about amethyst amethyst uh i always forget freaking amethyst amber what's funny about it is it is the aggro deck but it's also the deck that draws the most cards Gets the most mid-range value out of cards like Magic Broom, and has a, like one of the most pesky evasive characters in the game, which is Pascal. It, I think if you're going to Gen Con and you have to pick a deck, I would snap pick Amber, uh, Amber, Amethyst.
0: So let's talk a little bit then, Brendan. Uh, so like we're in agreement here. The that's the deck. That's the best deck given all the information we have. That is the best deck that you could possibly hope to pick or get assigned. I don't know what the rules are going to be if you're just assigned a list or you have to be like, you, you go oh, and you that buy. would
1: be such a feels bad. If it was, if, if I mean, hopefully it's not first come first serve, that's the worst case scenario, but also getting assigned would suck. Hopefully they have enough product <laughs> that people can buy. Well,
0: that's the want. problem because, and again, not to sort of go harp on the comments that we got earlier when I was talking about like, you know, what happens if everybody wants the same thing and they don't have it, then it becomes a race to line up and that's, that, that's just an awful experience altogether. But given what we know, is this is this just the best deck to go ahead and, and select
1: even so even if we I talked about some cards that are not in the front of the box right they could be in there they're really powerful cards assuming that the these decks only like the only cards that we could know are the cards on the front of the box Mickey Mouse and Moana are so much better than any of the other two hero uh, character combinations you see on the other starter deck boxes that you should just pick this deck if you don't know it's they're not even close. Like, Aladdin and Cruella Deville are nowhere close. Aurora and Simba, like, not even in the same universe. Like, these two cards are currently, with the entire card pool we have, two of the best cards in the game. So, so I think you just snap-take Amber Amber, Amethyst.
0: What I'm looking at when I see this is because, like, at this rate, when you don't know what the, what's in there or you don't necessarily... Might, you might not have as much experience as this game, obviously, because it's the first major tournament that they're going to put out there. You're looking at the heroes, and again, all you know is what's on the box and the heroes that you're there. And you're correct; these are just inherently the better characters out of the six that are being presented. And it just so happens that they're paired up together in a deck. That said, it's not just about the fact that they're they're good enough; it's the fact that they they are good on their own, completely void of whatever's going on on the other side of the board. The car, the characters that are on the board are going to be able to do things on their own that are are not. Like, for instance, Simba needs to challenge. That's where he's good at. He needs your opponent to have stuff on the board to do stuff. Um, You know, uh, the ward aspect of, um, who is that, Aurora? Like, Aurora giving ward... It's they're all
1: re- they're all reactive like that's the thing is both Challenger is currently and it might change in a constructed format in a narrow meta but Challenger currently kind of sucks because your opponent can play around it. It's completely reactive and your opponent can play around it. Um, Ward is the same way And the the thing is the blue the 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 sapphire deck, isn't compelling enough for the war, like the war to actually come into effect because the deck you're playing against can simply out outrace you and outvalue you through cards, which is often going to be amethyst. Uh, like yeah, that, that's sort of where it comes from me. Even if it, what these heroes weren't on the front flake, I genuinely believe looking at the card design tenets of each one of these colors, amethyst is just so far ahead of everything else because it for some reason they printed the best one drop in amethyst which makes it a good aggro deck. They printed the highest va- the value generating card, which is Mickey Mouse, but then also Amethyst draws all the freaking cards. Like <laughs> why would you play the control deck? You're going to get like you will get you'll get beat in the late game by an Amethyst deck cuz they draw the cards. Um and their Mickey Mouse is recurring, literally effectively drawing cards by balancing the broom back to hand. It's 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 nuts.
0: I don't I don't uh, know if the game has like must answer cards just yet, but if there would be some I think that that Mickey Mouse is like, once that hits the board, your yep. your number one mission is to get that cleaned up.
1: Yep. Yep. And it, it comes down early, too. It comes down early. Uh, like, there's some other, there's there's other must-answer cards, yes, but they, they come super late. Like, you could say Aladdin is a must-answer card, but in order to get it out in a reasonable amount of time, you have to shift it. Um, it's just not as good. And you're, again, Aladdin is, it's an aggressive, it looks like an aggressive card, because you can take your opponent's resources, but it's Kind of, it feels a bit reactive, I guess, in a way. It just feels like your opponent can run circles around you when you put Aladdin down. There are there are board states in which you put Aladdin down, your opponent just won't be able to reap. But it's sort of a win-more card, because if you're winning, uh, like I just don't think your opponent... You, your opponent doesn't play into Aladdin. They usually won't let you get value out of Aladdin unless they're losing the game. Um, so, yeah, I, I just... I genuinely think that amethyst is just absolutely the best right now
0: all right so we've isolated that it's in fact the best deck that you that you should be playing given the information that we have now between now and when this occurs if like suddenly we find out that there's other cards well listen we're just go we're just playing with the variables that we we are aware of that said let's talk a little bit like let's give them kind of like that's the best deck how far behind are the other two? Because maybe players are just like, you know what? I want to try this. Maybe I do like Steel uh, steal Saf- uh, Sapphire um, because of the control element and such. Is it in somebody's interest as a as a control player at heart for them to lean into their strengths and now obviously we're ta- we're taking fun out of the equation mm-hmm. here because if you want to have fun play whatever the hell you want that's uh, that's obviously always an option we're telling you what the best decks are and whatnot but do you think that in this game with not no, like a fresh fresh game that leaning on your strengths might be a better option
1: um, it depends. Like, it depends on the contents of the deck. I think if there is card draw disparity, like there currently is in the different colors, um, then some decks will just be really bad <laughs> compared to others. Because the fact that Amethyst has the best aggro cards and has late game card draw better than any other color, like that's the perfect storm that never happens. <laughs> like you don't get aggro decks that can win in late game um, because they'd be broken, right? And again, we we really don't we don't know. All I'm telling you is that if you show up on day one, they present you with three decks. I would say through all of the cards that I've seen, through all the gameplay I've done, if you're a gambling if you're a gambling person, pick amethyst. Pick amethyst amber. I think that that is the best gamble. There could be there there definitely is going to be cards we haven't seen in these decks, but those t- those two colors are very solid, and I think Ameth- Am- amethyst is genuinely the best. And the two characters on the front. Are significantly better than the other ones represented on the other two decks. So,
0: what would you say is that? Let's say, let's say you can't get a hold of that deck of uh, the other two. What are you taking?
1: I so just off what I know, right? I would probably take Sapphire Steel and just hope that it has Beast Mirror in it. Yeah. If I knew the if I knew the cards that were in there, um, it would change a lot. But if I had to just go and not knowing anything, I just think. I think Aladdin is okay, right? But you play Aladdin, it gets gets hit by that five cost song out of blue that just turns it into a resource. And then the other card you see on the green deck is Cruella Deville, which is, it's not that good. (laughs) It's just not, it's just not that impactful. It's a good, it's good for what it is. It's a two draw, but it's not that impactful of a card. Um, I would be playing something like Sapphire Steel because Sapphire Steel will have unconditional removal. It should have card draw, not as good card draw as Amethyst. And it should have, uh, it does technically have have answers to evasion, which the red deck might present, through the form of Simba, who is on the front of the deck, who is on the front of the starter box, so who will be in the deck. Uh, so I, I generally think that that is definitely that would be the second for me. I don't even know if it's too far behind in a second to something like Amber Amethyst. Just re- it really depends what's in the deck, but um, just extrapolating from what's on the front, I think um, Sapphire Steel could be decently close behind.
0: That's kind of what I'm leaning on, because I feel like if you're going to be... Like you mentioned, I think the fire of the cannons is just um, in in limited. I think it's just a very good card um, that you probably need, and that you're uh, you know an average player might not necessarily respect as much as they they can. And if if you do, if the if the deck does have Captain Hook, that it does allow you to recur that card, then it's not so bad. Uh, but like the, the the way that I'm envisioning this is that the the amber amethyst deck is basically dictating the pace and the other decks need to provide answers just to just to equalize the board just to sort of maintain that pace whereas everything that amber and amethyst is putting out there is is just well beyond everything and they're putting the pressure on the opponent to match or answer or fall or fall behind and that in a limited tournament without construction without you being able to say I know what's out there I can tailor my deck to answer it. There's no sideboard, there's no nothing. There's no constructive aspect. It's what you have is what you get and everybody's more or less playing with 95% of the same the same stuff in their deck because even the booster pack they open might have nothing that is worth putting into your deck. So, you need to lean on this on the starter deck uh, itself. Now,
1: I I would be um so yeah. I just want to say that the 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 one right now in last place for me kind of by quite a bit is Emerald Emerald Ruby. Um, I would change my mind if the front of the deck was Lady Tremaine and Maleficent. <laughs> like because that Lady Tremaine combined with Ruby, would tell me that they have Dragonfire in the deck and you can do the Dragonfire loop, which is you play Lady Tremaine and it gets the action card out of your discard and you get Dragonfire back. So you sort of loop this removal. It's pretty good, but Lady Tremaine is a very greedy card because it can't be turned to a resource. So it's it's not even the best thing you can do in Arcana. It's just a good thing. And then Maleficent is just the best top-line card there is because it two-for-ones your opponent and it has hard stats to deal with. Um, that's not what's on the deck. <laughs> so it's probably not that sort of combo loop-oriented ruby emerald deck um it could still be in there but that that would make it more compelling for me right now this is a clear last place but i would caveat that by saying we really haven't seen many emerald cards and most ones they've shown us are pretty bad uh there are some exceptions but they're conditional exceptions like lady tremaine other than that emerald is definitely the least colored when it comes to spoilers
0: all right so we gave you the deck. We gave you the sort of the map. But you got to sort of take the steps yourself to, to get there. And that, for some, might be a little bit um, intimidating because you might never have played in a tournament. It's a brand new game. Um, it's being marketed very casual-esque to a degree. So um, the appeal for some people is just like, I'm going to go. But I, I do want to succeed, but I don't have any experience. So yeah. we're, telling you, we're telling you, we're telling you, it's not just the easy option it's also the best option it's it's most
1: it's, you know, most likely right and yeah if they want like if you are new and you haven't played much Lorcana, etc right some some heuristics in Lorcana, which might not be immediately apparent you should almost always be mulliganing for early interaction if your opponent drops a, a one cost that can reap for that can quest for two or even a one cost that just quest for one and you have like a three drop you're in a bad spot immediately. So you should aggressively mulligan. The mulligan and Narcana is one of the most generous mulligans. It's debatably one of the most broken mulligans that I've ever seen in a game. Because what you do is you draw seven cards, you put any amount you want on the bottom, and then you don't shuffle your deck, and then you draw back up up to seven, how many cards you put on the bottom in your hand. So it means you're able to put the cards you don't want on the bottom and those cards are, you can't draw those cards. So it's different than other mulligans. It's the most generous mulligan, which means that you, you're quite incentivized to aggress, to mulligan very, very aggressively for what you want. And I think what you want in Lurkana is early interaction. There are some key cards, like if I get Mickey Mouse and a broom in hand, I'm keeping that. Like, that's staying in the hand, right? Even though those cards aren't really early game cards, that's in the hand because it's busted. I know my deck's trying to do that, but generally in, in Larkana, you should definitely be aggressively mulliganing uh, for early game interaction. Other than that, uh, yeah, I think card draw is king in this game. <laughs> like, if you have access to card draw, you yeah. should be drawing cards. Like I think it's absolutely king. Uh, you will find yourself in many mid to late games in Larkana, top decking, uh, unless you're your card drawing and that part of this game is not fun and you you don't want to be there it's total rng right total variance you're just you're just like do i draw something i can play no um etc and so you want to be drawing as many cards as possible because they have the sort of most cards have the modality being turned into resources they're all useful to you um but those, those are sort of my t- my two heuristics for for Larkana. Other than that, it's very standard card game heuristics. Just outvalue your opponent any way you can. That's why the Mickey Mouse card is so good because you're turning that broom into turning a single broom into like four brooms when you bounce them back to hand. Um, just outvalue your opponent. Mulligan aggressively for early interaction. Uh, definitely use get high value usages out of your removal. Don't use your Dragonfire on a Cheshire Cat which is like a, <laughs> a, zero, a like a, a three drop or a zero, three, three drop. Like try to use it when they, like one of the best things you can do against your opponent, if you have the, the, this, the Sapphire song or the red dragon fire. So unconditional removal is when they play that big eight drop that sits on the, that you can literally see on the front of the starter deck, like the Simba or something, where they play the Maleficent, you just drag and fire it. But that's what you want to do. You want to yeah. be, you want to be beating them on value, right? Cause they, let's say they paid nine for their Maleficent. You paid five for the dragon fire. You win that exchange by four resources. I think you do that more than your opponent does. You win the game
0: as as like a a rule of thumb. Like when you're thinking about like, okay, what should I use these removal cards on? It's printed on the front of the box. Like that's like they are they are selling uh, like the. The whole starter deck revolves around these appealing characters that are printed on the front of the box. So if you have a way to a card, like if you have a card that will banish a character, it, it, for the most part, unless you're going to lose the game or you're just falling way behind, you have to do it. A lot of the times, you are literally just waiting to go ahead and goon their big play with that value exchange. It's like like you said, they drop a knot, like something that costs nine. You hit them with five. You got four chain. You, you still get four for change coming back your way um mm-hmm. the other thing that i've noticed is like like you mentioned and the card draw being king is that the games that we've played have if, if, when it comes to top decking i'm not saying it, it like it's a late game thing that you'll eventually get to it happens really quick you draw one and typically you're playing two you're you're reading you're two cards out of your hand for the first two or three turns and then like there's a potential where you're reading like two or three card, like uh sorry you're reading two cards out of your hand early And then it's like two or three cards a turn, but you're only drawing one. So you get gassed out completely early. So having a card draw mechanic is going to be a massive advantage for you. And what I can't reiterate enough is that sometimes playing the card draw card versus a a rinky dink do nothing character creature (laughs) is the right play. It allows you to establish that and start drawing cards where you can get to those better pieces faster. You might fall behind on lore, but in the late game, when they're top decking and you've got options, that's that's your advantage. The other element I just want people to think about when they're playing this game is you need to think about the turn after the turn you're playing, where you might say, I'm like, okay, I'll do this, to this. I'm like, oh, like all their stuff's tapped out. I have an opportunity here to quest for for eight and put myself ahead of them. But if you're putting yourself ahead of them, they they might then regain control of the board, quest with, with the remaining cre- uh, characters, and then you're falling behind. You need to be able to think a turn or two ahead of, you know, what are they questing for per turn and how many turns are they away from a win condition or, or winning the game? That is something that when we were playing, I found, like, there was a turn, I think, when you and I were playing where I'm like, oh, the, the easy answer here is I just go and... Quest with my my three quest dude because you've got like one or two other dudes it's not worth it for me to kill your one quest but then in my mind i'm like if i if i just quest and don't kill your stuff i lose i just flat out lose the game you play a character yeah. and i just fall behind so being having the the you know the foresight to to put your opponent on a clock and say this is how far they are and this is how far i am and if they're if that clock is in their favor, you need to start cleaning things out. If the clock is in your favor, you need to start putting the onus on them to to catch up and make the decisions.
1: In a permanent base game like Larkana, you want to be ahead on board, which sounds simple, but you should always keep that in mind. Um, you should never be questing for lore at some superfluous moment that isn't winning you the game. Uh, if you're going to fall behind on board, you will lose. Most, if not all, of those games. Other than that, the uh, the other biggest tip is you want to go first in Lorcanna. Uh, I don't think you ever want to go second. Like it's just best to go first by far.
0: Yeah. Well, like, I don't even know what the disadvantages. It's like you don't. I think they said like you don't draw a card, but who cares? Like at that point, if like the, like your turn one, it's like imagine turn one you pick up Pascal and again the mulligan system. Like you could throw everything away, draw seven yeah. new cards, and and go for it. The odds of you finding early game presence are huge. So I would even argue for new players because it's attractive and this is what I used to do when I was a new player like you know you play Hearthstone and you're allowed to mulligan cards away. I'm like, dude, I found my I found my Doctor Boom. Like I'm going to win. No you're not. There's a good chance you might not even get to turn 7 if you're holding that that brick in your hand the entire time. You need to aggressively mulligan and and I know it's a starter deck and I know there's probably few big cards in it but if there's a seven drop in your hand that you think is going to change the, the course of the game, you need to get rid of it because you, there's a very good chance you're not going to get to the point where that met card's going to matter.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, Flake, I think that's all I have for the starter decks. That's all that's all I can't extrapolate from looking at the front, <laughs> Wait, of, <them. laughs> at the
0: front of the boxes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that's all I got. I think uh, I
0: think you did a masterful job in all honesty because, again, we don't know the contents of the starter decks. Um, we just know what is on the front and what a lot of the the potential cards are my suspicion is is that whatever's been released and leaked so far are probably what we're where it comes standard
1: it's probably more as well to be honest yeah there's gonna be like, more but yeah it's probably more um honestly it, it just i don't know how much it matters there's like there's only a few cards you really need in the amethyst deck for nothing to come close to the power level of it um amethyst amethyst amber the only thing that it doesn't really have is removal uh unconditional removal the other two decks have it we've talked about it but your cards are just better. Like, they are just better. And you draw cards, so you don't need it. <laughs> you're, you're the beatdown. You're the aggro deck. You're also the deck that draws like cards. And you're the deck that has the highest, the highest value-oriented cards, such as like Mickey Mouse in the deck. So, um, yeah, that's all, that's all I got. I think if I, if I was a gambling man, I would pick, uh, I'd pick Amber Amethyst. And if they didn't have it, I'd pick Sapphire Steel. And then, last deck I would pick would be Ruby Emerald. Ruby Emerald could be good though. The, eva- the evasive stuff—if it's packed full of evasive on the end of Ruby—could be hard to deal with. Emerald is—it sucks right now. <laughs> Everything about Emerald is terrible. <laughs> That's why you see all these like Emerald stands on Twitter. They're like, "Oh, I can't wait for another Emerald card." We got Reckless, which is this terrible ability. It's
0: so bad. It's so bad. <laughs> it's it's
1: fine. It's fine, but it's just—it's not. It's—it's it's just not good right like it doesn't get you excited What is it it's
0: removal with extra steps like
1: it's just yeah if it's like in this niche board state maybe this will do something it's like ah okay so just dragon fire for five like this is way better uh yeah it's it's standard card game stuff you want the fundamentally powerful things you don't want these conditional just like if this happens this card is finally okay uh yeah emerald emerald is just by far the worst color but that that actually doesn't contribute too much to me putting this deck at the bottom it's more Corellia Devil and Aladdin, uh, and the combination of the two. Because I think the only good thing you can do in, in Ruby Emerald right now is loop Dragonfire and, and play Maleficent on turn nine.
0: <laughs> I dig it. Well, uh, friends, if you're listening to this and you're going to Gen Con, let us know in the in the comments here what what deck do you intend on playing? What deck would you play if you were going? Uh, and if you do go, please let us know how it did go. Um, tweet at us at Podcana. On Twitter, uh, or myself, Flake, uh, or Brendan, we'd love to hear what your your war stories are, as it were, your pulls out of those packs, and um, give us a little in. Tell us what's actually in those packs. You know, in those starter (laughs) decks. Like, if we have a like, if you give us the list of what's in there, and we know what these decks are, we will we will very very much tell you that if there's another starter deck tournament, you play this, and this is how you play it. Like, we can give you the matchup you know, the notes. It's like mirror match. You do this against this deck. You do this against this deck. You do that. Congratulations. You just won the tournament. That's kind of what we're hoping to do to set you up for, not only for these tournaments, but all tournaments moving forward. That's what you're going to get from Podcana.
1: It's going to be really interesting for the people to go. Uh, I have no idea what the scene will, the scene will look like because I know it was so competitive to get in. Right. So it could be people from all walks of life, you know, whether they're looking to be competitive, they're super casual they're for fun. I think the general aura, of this event um, will be people trying to win, uh, but people also just very happy to finally be playing with the uh, playing with the cards. Yeah. So I, I think it I, it'll be it'll be a good event for sure. I do think that to win this event, you will have to be a very good card game player. I, I do. <laughs> well, that's what we're here to prep you for.
0: Um, all right, so there you go. Uh, we've got a mailbag spilled ink. Let's uh, let's jump right into that one there, Brendan Patrick. We've got. One, uh, one this time around. so uh, well, let's get because we spent a lot of time digging into these starter decks. So mm-hmm. what do we got? Yeah, this
1: one this one comes from at Lorcana, Dad on Twitter, and they say, in honor of Mother's Day being this month, what Disney Princess would make the best mom?
0: What's funny about this is that I literally had to Google when Mother's Day was, and then I realized that it had passed two weeks ago. And then I also remembered that I, in fact, called my mom on Mother's Day and all that other jazz because I got worried, very worried that I may have missed it. But then I remembered, no, I called and everything. So uh, thanks for putting the fear of God in me there. Yeah.
1: Uh, just a little tip you didn't know you can set up automations on your phone really easily to text people on certain days at certain times and you can recur them weekly are you saying that, that I do that <laughs> I was gonna say
0: like that is the ultimate uh, admission there <laughs> like yeah I put my mom on a, on an automated chat AI timer like
1: it just says hey mom happy mother's day can you give me a call when you get a chance <laughs> just calls you and you're like you're like What's up? What do you need? <laughs> yeah. Then
0: they'll remind you and you will be like, oh, uh, Hey, w- what do you call it? Oh yeah, absolutely. No problem. I should just do that for everything. Frankly. Why not?
1: Yeah. <laughs> the, the automated flower delivery got there too. Um, <laughs> anyway, anyway,
0: <laughs> we're um, good. we're good sons. I promise you, we love our moms. We're not this, we're not degenerate like that.
1: Yeah. Um, anyway, the best, the best princess would make the best mom. Dude, I have no idea on this one. I don't know if I've seen a lot of princess movies. You know, I think I think my my Disney movie consumption back when I was an eight year old little boy was probably more geared towards like the Robin Hoods and the Jungle Books, which we've talked about a lot. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't I don't really know that many Disney princesses to be honest. I there's the girl from uh, from hercules but
0: i don't know if she's a i was literally mom. just saying, meg meg i don't think meg would be a good mom. no that's the the one answer i was gonna give was i know precisely who wouldn't be a good mom because she just pieced out and went to go hang with like hades she's like you know not i'm not saying moms can't get it but like the first order of business she's like yeah i'm just gonna go and you know hang out with the worst possible dude and you know sell my love down the river that uh, said, we go. what you got a list now? oh
1: uh, I found my girl, Maid marion from Robin <laughs> Hood. The little fox. I don't know if you remember her. She would definitely be a good mom.
0: And not a fox is in the in the fact that she's like <laughs> you know a fox, but she's an actual. She's literal
1: fox. fox. Yeah. Literal fox. Yeah.
0: Um, I was actually thinking of like I think it's Nala from Lion King. That's like Simba's girlfriend or whatever. Because the, the what I like about her is that she went out hunting for for Simba to bring back order to everything. She was like a true, you know, and not that she couldn't, probably couldn't do it on her own, but she understood what everything was going on. And, and without her, Simba was not going to, like, you know the whole, the old saying, which is like, behind every good man is a better woman kind of thing like that. Like, that's the way that I kind of see it, is that... The reason why Simba went back and took back Pride Rock and and beat the crap out of Scar and, and, you know, sent the hyenas running and brought order back to the kingdom was because Nala had the, you know, had the gall to go out there on her own to bring back and bring order back to it. She knew how to take care of hers. And I think that Nala would probably be the best mom.
1: Hmm. All right.
0: She's a lion. You have a fox. (laughs) I do have a fox. Yeah. I'll tell you who it isn't. It isn't Meg from Hercules. Definitely not. No. All right. Well, Brendan, uh, anything you want to to say before we go?
1: Nope, that's it. I mean, I wonder if we're going to get the deck list before Gen Con. I doubt it, though. I think it's going to be a surprise of the day. Um, Yeah, good luck to everybody that is competing. Congratulations on getting in. I know it's a bit tough, (laughs) but uh, I'm super excited for Lokana to actually start coming out. You know, it feels like we've been in a bit of a lull period, not a lot of info. And I'm excited for the hype to pick back up to see more cards and to hopefully, you know, just get the get the plan for for 2024. It's going to be a big year for TCGs. I'm interested to see how Lorcana plans to enter the market and compete with everybody else.
0: Well, and I and I think this is a good time to also remind everybody that uh, or at least reassure them that we will remain a Lorcana podcast. We will not shift
1: gears. I don't know. Three, four more weeks and no spoilers. This might be like. Uh, you
0: just said that August is like super close, and now you're already talking about it. Um,
1: uh, it be, God, I can't even think of a random podcast name, but some Rebel something, a Rebel something podcast. It close. That's what it would be?
0: Well, we were going to when we were discussing this actually, because um, uh, uh, our buddy Charmer and I are starting a Star Wars podcast that we've we've named. We called it Wampa Radio. And we were talking about Rebel, like Rebel Radio, but there's already a Rebel Radio that's out there. Um, Yeah. So
1: I believe that's like the Lorcana podcast that rebranded to that.
0: I I think it was actually. Yeah. I I don't know. I think it's like Lorcana. I don't know what the the name of it.
1: uh, I I I couldn't find what the original. If if anybody knows, by the way, and I know I'm grasping a straws here, there was a Lorcana podcast that transitioned into a Star Wars podcast. I believe their current name is Rebel Radio. I'm looking at it. I could not, for the life of me, find out what the original lorekana based podcast name was i genuinely looked i went through all the reviews like i was looking
0: uh yeah okay so okay no I, I found the the tweet or the or the the message that you mentioned i don't know if it was like a facebook thing that they posted or whatever but yeah it's uh like i don't know if it's called i rebel or it's just Rebel. Ah, oh there you go but like it's a Lorcana in star wars podcast but yeah they basically i don't know i i like what's fascinating to me is that this podcast it's not because they're unsatisfied with Lorcana or or c- no. according to the message it's just like hey we don't know Star Wars were coming out so we're exactly. a Star Wars podcast now.
1: Yeah. So like, they I mean and that's how it is. I mean people are huge fans of Star Wars. Like there's a big there's a big latent uh Star Wars TCG community. Uh, I am well
0: ingrained in that but but that's the thing it's like
1: so you're gonna get all these boomers coming out of the woodwork. Now I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> it's
0: the truth, though, dude. It's the truth. Like, what's funny is that the, they still have Star Wars CCG tournaments like on the regular, and they show pictures of like these like tournaments, and they get like a decent amount of people. There's like 30 or 40 people who show up for these major tournaments, and the average age is like mid 40s but that's just the reality of it like it's you that's know this dude you grew up i with mean it.
1: even flesh and blood is a new tcg the average age start thir- like probably late 20s early 30s it's,
0: yeah i think the demographic is like the, the the spike in the in the demographic is 25 to 35 like that's the the fatness and if the game continues i mean it's only going to continue to sort of shift that way right so i would Maybe. imagine but we'll see all right Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all Lorkana-appropriate ages, we do appreciate you watching, listening, and all that jazz. Uh, Don't forget to please give us a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to this, whether it's Spotify or whatnot. It helps us Immensely, so thank you so much for doing that. If you have already subscribed to the channel, follow us. You can follow the podcast at Podcana on Twitter, myself at Watchflake, and Brendan is at at BrendanAPG. Please leave a comment, tell us what you like about the show, and we're always open to suggestions. And we just like uh, shooting the breeze with you. So thank you so much. Talk.
1: See y'all next week. Bye.